Good morning, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us for church today. This is the first full month that we have ever completed with only doing online church. It's not the way we would prefer to be together, but I'm so grateful that we still get to gather together this way on Sunday. It's my favorite day because it's the day that I feel like we are together moving in the same direction spiritually. I'm excited about May. I hope that the last few Sundays of May might look different, that we might even with small crowds be able to have church in uh, in our building. We don't know that yet, but I'm excited about the first few weeks of May. We're going to change things up just a little bit. We'll continue to have online church as we are, but on Sunday, May 3, I'm actually going to invite three of our other pastors uh, into the message with me, Pastor Mike, Pastor Ryan, Pastor Scott, And we're just going to kind of do a roundtable of what we've been learning and how we've been applying the truth that we've been learning through this quarantine season. So May 3 is going to be really, really awesome. And then on Mother's Day, May 10, I'm going to invite Danielle uh, onto the stage with me. and She and I are going to have a special message, not just for mothers and parents, but really everyone moving through this season. I've been in touch with some of our ministry friends, Clayton King, Daniel Floyd, uh, Brian Beloy. I'm trying to figure out how to have their voices speak into our church in May a little bit. So we're trying to find some things. Uh, that will allow them to speak directly to your heart. But uh, I'm glad April has come to an end, and I'm excited for May, and I don't, know, I don't know what's next. But like we said last week, I know who's near, and I trust the Jesus who holds the future in his hands. If you haven't had an opportunity yet, you've got a few more weeks of quarantine now to check out The Chosen. Um, we talked last week about this show, this eight um, episode mini series on the Gospel of John through the life of Jesus. Our host will drop in links so that you can go check that out. You've got to watch this. I was talking to some of our ministry team who have watched it, uh, and it's been super, super impactful for them and their families. So carve out some time. You have some time at home. Watch the shows, and I think you'll really love going through the first few chapters of John and getting to see it um, with your eyes. Today, we're actually in First Kings chapter 19. So if you have your Bible, I want you to turn to First Kings chapter 19. While you are turning to First Kings chapter 19, remember, um, we're asking people at our church who are still in this season being paid, who normally give to continue giving. We're asking those who go to our church and are still being paid, who haven't been giving, to engage in giving in this season. And we're asking people in our church, and we're hearing from more and more now that we're so grateful to help who come to our church who normally give but who can't give to let us know what you need. If you're looking for a way to give online, you can give through our website, takethejourney.cc. Just a couple clicks once you give once. It's very easy to continue giving there. Texting to give, again, once you give once, the prompts are super simple for giving every time. You can give through our mobile app or you can send a check through the mail. For those of you who have been giving, thank you. We just want a whole month without gathering for church. We just want a whole month without passing an offering bucket, but we are still receiving in a way that is allowing us to give out because of how you have been giving. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Please continue your giving as we go through this season. We are in week four of a series that we've been calling The Waiting Room that we started when we found out that we were going to be given stay-at-home orders. What do you do? When you're just sitting around, what do you do when you don't know what to do? What do you do when there's no place to go? How do you make the most of this time spiritually when you're in a season of staying at home? We met the Apostle Paul and Paul taught us that we're not confined to our homes. We're called to our homes like he was called to Arabia so that we can grow. We met Noah and Noah taught us that in difficult seasons, we can, 
worship anyway, and we can choose at the beginning that we're going to worship at the end, even when we don't know when the end is. We actually learned last week from Moses to stop looking forward to the end and to start looking up because we don't know what's coming next, but we do know who is near. So we've been learning some wonderful, wonderful lessons, and today we're going to meet one of my favorite people in the Bible. His name is Elijah, and Elijah is going to teach us a few more things about how we continue through this season of waiting. Here's the goals that I have today from the life of uh, Elijah. Number one, I want to learn what it takes to make it through this journey. It's been a hard season. It's not over yet. What's it going to take to make it to the very, very end? I think we learned some of those lessons today from Elijah. And the second thing we learn as we look at the life of Elijah is we learn the recipe for rest and reentry. If we make it, and I believe that we will, How do we not just make it through the season, but go into the next season, maybe rested spiritually and ready spiritually for all that God has for us? That's what we're going to try to accomplish in our time together today. Before we ever open God's word, we always try to open our hearts. Let's pray that these goals will be accomplished in the time that we're meeting together to learn today. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes wherever you might be? Would you take that deep breath that we try to remind you to take every Sunday? Just settle into this time and ask God today to settle into your heart. Wherever you are, whisper this prayer from your heart to heaven. Ask God today to speak to you. Just That's the simple prayer. Just say, speak to me today, Lord. God, that's our prayer that you would speak to us. Help us endure this journey. And God, begin to show us how to rest and to plan for reentry into the world of impact that we absolutely believe you're calling us to on the other side of this. God, continue to be with those who are sick Continue to be with our medical care workers. Continue to be with our community leaders. Continue to be with all those who are deeply impacted in this season. Let them all find hope through the Jesus we are looking to. That's our prayer. And God, we pray you'll help us with these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen and amen. As we get into Elijah's story today, we're going to pick up the biblical account in 1 Kings chapter 19 in just a minute. But as we get into 1 Kings 19, here's what Elijah's feeling in his spirit. Maybe this is what you're feeling in your spirit. Elijah's story seemed to be a never-ending story. It was just a story that was never going to end. The bad news seemed like it was never going to end. Now, by the time I was seven years old, I had seen two movies in the theater. The first was E.T. The second movie that I ever saw in a movie theater um, was The NeverEnding Story, which meant by the time I was eight, I wanted an alien, a flying dog, and I wanted to date a princess who would beg me to say her name. Like, if if you've seen those movies, that makes sense to you. Um, Those were the first two movies of my life and of my childhood. And for those of you who saw the never-ending story, this story of Bastion who stole, borrowed um, a library book that he found at the bookstore, and he began to be immersed in this story of Atreyu trying to rescue this princess, trying to rescue a world that was being slowly devoured by the nothing. That's what it was called. It was called the nothing, and the nothing was just spreading darkness all over the world. Eventually, Atreyu showed up. He got to the princess. Bastion called her name. The nothing went away. Darkness went away. All was good. Now, listen, you stranger things, kids, you think you know about this movie. You don't know about this movie. The never-ending story is not a song. It's a movie. So until you see the movie, don't talk. Stranger things, kids, don't talk to me about the movie. You know the song. You need to see the movie. But in the movie, the nothing was destroying everything. In, In Elijah's story, there was something spreading darkness all over the land. It was not named the nothing. It was named Ahab. Ahab was the king of Israel, and what he was spreading, the darkness he was spreading all over Israel was idolatry. 
And Elijah had the very bad draw of the straw to go and be the prophet to say, hey, you, you can't do that, to go get his attention, to go get Israel's attention. And here's why it was bad to be Elijah. Israel was thriving under the reign of Ahab economically, uh, in a military sense. Everything was really, really good. And God knew the only way he could get Israel's attention was to turn off the economy. So Elijah's message to Ahab was, listen, um, because you're not following God, you're secure in everything but God, God's going to turn off the economy. And the way he's going to turn off the economy is he's going to turn off the water. It's not going to rain for three and a half years. See, Israel, the northern part of the modern um, Israeli state, is so fertile, and they made all their money exporting crops. They, um, they made their living eating the crops that they were growing, and God knew the only way to get Ahab's attention was to turn off the economy. So Elijah showed up and said, it's not going to rain. It's not going to rain until you're willing to rely on God again, and it didn't rain for three and a half years. Elijah went into hiding for that three and a half years. You say, why? Because Ahab and every other leader in Israel wanted to kill him. He had killed their economy, uh, and he had very slowly taken their livelihood. At the end of three and a half years, God says, okay, time to turn the water on. Go tell Ahab. I'm going to prove to him now this was me because I'm trying to capture his heart. Go tell him we're going to turn the water on. Elijah said, God, they'll kill me. And he said, no, go tell him. So in 1 Kings chapter 18 that we're not going to read today, Elijah shows back up in town, finds a friend of his, says, tell the king, to meet me on Mount Carmel. It's been three and a half years. I'm going to prove that God was doing this because he wants the attention and the heart of his people. They meet up on top of Mount Carmel. Um, the, the prophets of Baal and the Ashtoreths, uh, which Israel was worshiping at the time, had the first chance to call down fire from heaven, to call down rain from heaven. They failed. Then Elijah had his turn. He prayed a simple prayer. God, we pray you'd respond from heaven. Br- bring your rain. Bring your lightning. Uh, we read that lightning took up the sacrifice. Within a few hours, it was raining. Elijah saw that all the prophets, the false prophets were killed. And I think Elijah thought, like, my job is done. Um, I will be the hero of Israel now. I turned the water back on. Elijah literally made it rain. Um, And he thought everyone's going to be so happy because we've turned the water back on. But the exact opposite happened. Instead of being happy, they said it was his fault. The whole time, he was the one who kept the water from being rained onto our land so that we can make money, so that we could have food. And they decided to hunt him down and kill him. That's where we pick up his story in First Kings chapter 19. Elijah was in kind of a, like, God, please kill me now phase of life. Where is that? First Kings chapter 19, we're going to start in verse 1. It says this, Now Ahab, that's the evil king, told Jezebel everything that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Elijah was afraid and he ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. It's interesting when, when, we, when we look at where Elijah was running to, we read that verse and we think, oh, Elijah ran away. It, it was much worse than that. It was much more dire than that because he did run to Beersheba. But as we look at this map of Israel with all of these Old Testament sites that are notable on the map, Mount Carmel is here in the upper northwest portion of the country. Beersheba is here. Elijah didn't just, you know, run to the next town to hide. He ran 110 miles away. It would have been a five to seven day journey. 
So when we pick up Elijah's journey, he's a week out from, listen, he's a week out from the greatest spiritual moment of his life. He's a week out from the greatest spiritual moment of his life. It's 110 miles away, and here's what he's asking God to do. It says he came to a broom bush. He sat down and he prayed uh, that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. And he lay down under the bush and he fell asleep. Some of you, we talked last week with Moses. The season has been so, so long. Some of you are thinking, Lord, I think I've had enough. Lord, I'm not, I'm not sure I'm going to make it through this journey. Lord, the only thing I feel like I'm any good for right now is, is I need to lay down and take a nap. I think, I think I've had enough. What happens? It says all at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals in a jar of water. He ate and drank and then he lay down again. Let's, let's stop right here for a second. I, want you to, I just want you to picture this. Put yourself in the situation. Elijah is awakened by an angel who has made him a meal. And his response, probably with his eyes half shut like my teenage son sometimes, was to come to the dinner table, eat his dinner, and go back to bed. Like, how tired do you have to be to not engage the angel in conversation? How tired do you have to be to not say, do we have dessert? How tired do you have to be not to ask questions about where he was? Elijah was spent. He didn't know if he was going to make it through the journey. And as a matter of fact, after his second nap, the angel said, dude, you're not doing very good. In verse 7, it says, the angel of the Lord came back a second time, touched him and said, get up. You need to eat again for this journey is too much for you. Some of you, as we have come to the end of April, are thinking, um, man, I don't know that I'm going to make it. If I could be really transparent with you, I've wondered that. Uh, around Easter time, as one month transitioned to two, and two looked like it might transition to three, I thought, man, this journey, um, this might be too much. This might be too much for me. Uh, trying, to, trying to figure out how my son's going to graduate from high school. Is he, is he going to go to college now? Is he not going to go to college Do do we do online services? Do we do home church? Do we open the church? Do we do drive-in church? All these things swirling around in my head. There have been moments where I've thought, I think, it's, I think it's too much. I think it's too much. What do we do? What do we do when the journey has felt like too much? I guess the good news, maybe, of what we're learning in Elijah's story is this. Elijah's journey is a picture of all of our spiritual journeys. We've all been on this page of life. Some of us are here right now, but in very specific ways, there's things to learn from Elijah's journeys. One of the things we learn from Elijah's journeys, and listen real closely, is that you can't live on mountaintop experience after mountaintop experience after mountaintop experience. Some of you have a hard time following Jesus in the valley. When you're on top of Mount Carmel and everything's going well, it's really easy to praise God and feel really good about life. But when you find yourself off the mountain, man, you can hardly get out of bed and spend time in Scripture. You can hardly let your heart connect with worship music. Elijah's journey is a lot like our journey, that when we're on the mountaintop, when we're on the mission field, when we're at youth camp, when it's vacation Bible school week, when, when it's volunteers, we're at the Inspire meetings, when we're breaking ground for a new building. Man, when we're on the mountaintop, we're like the Apostle Peter at the Mount of Transfiguration. We're begging God, can we just stay here? Please, can we just stay here? And God says, no, the, minute, the ministry's actually at the bottom of the mountain. And we find ourselves, once we get down the mountain, wondering if we'll ever get back up again. Christianity does not consist of one or two or three mountaintop experiences. 
but a lifetime of climbing those steps to see who Jesus is. Elijah realized that the mountaintop didn't last for him. So look at the second thing he did. He went back in his past and said, all right, if the mountaintop doesn't last, at least I can go and remember that something God did in the past. He went to Beersheba. What is Beersheba? The first place in the promised land that God's promise to Abraham was fulfilled. Beersheba was the place that reminded Elijah, hey, God moved in the past. Maybe he'll move in the future too. But Elijah was too tied to his past spiritual moments and he had stopped looking for future spiritual moments. Let me say that again. Elijah's entire faith journey was tied to a pole in the past, past decisions, past commitments, past moments with God. And he had quit looking for new, fresh daily future commitments with Jesus. And, and what Elijah was learning is that your Christian experience is not just built of one mountaintop experience after another. Your Christian experience is not just built of the memories in your past, but Christian experiences are born new every morning. God's mercies are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. It's there every day if you want to take it. But Elijah had to learn that and so did the rest of Israel. The touches of God in our past are to fuel us for that season of our journey. But like your car cannot run forever on one tank of gas, neither can you run forever spiritually on one touch from God. Your journey is not meant to be lived on top of the mountain. Those experiences are to inspire you, to show you things about God. So as you go back down in the valley, your heart remains steadfast to the God of the mountain. But even the Old Testament prophets from time to time had to tell the people of Israel, stop living in the past. In Amos 5, verses 4 through 6, some of my favorite Old Testament scripture, the prophet Amos says, this is what the Lord says to Israel, seek me and live. They had been living off of past touches from God instead of current relationship with God. Amos said, don't seek Bethel. That's where God used to be with you. Don't go to Gilgal. That was an experience in your past spiritually. Don't journey to Beersheba, which is exactly what Elijah had done. That's where God used to be for Gilgal is surely going to go into exile and Bethel is going to be reduced to nothing. But seek the Lord and live. Seek the Lord new. Seek the Lord fresh. Seek the Lord again fall at his feet again and live. This is what Elijah needed. His journey is a picture of all of our spiritual journeys. Sometimes we rely way too much on the mountaintop. Sometimes we rely way too much on our past and we aren't seeking new, fresh touches from God and we wonder why we're out of energy. About 450 years ago, there was an incredible playwright named Shakespeare who wrote things like Romeo and Juliet, Macbeth, Napoleon Dynamite. Okay, he didn't write um, the last one, but the writers of Napoleon Dynamite created one of the greatest characters in the history, uh, my mind, of cinema. This is Uncle Rico. And Uncle Rico in Napoleon Dynamite was the guy who was living in the past. All of us, all of us have someone we went to school with who is still wearing their high school football jersey on Friday night, who's still trying to figure out how to sneak into the prom, who still has, you know, their press clippings posted on their wall. That was Uncle Rico. Uncle Rico was always reminding people who he was in his past. And some of you, some of you, maybe look like Uncle Rico spiritually. Last year for homecoming, my daughter came, uh, came upstairs one day, Casey, and she said, um, hey, Dad. And I said, yeah, Case. And she said, uh, tomorrow's spirit day is blast from the past. We have, to, uh, we have to wear something really old. So um, I found your letter jacket in the basement, 
it's really old. Thank you, Casey. Um, can I wear your letter jacket to Spirit Day? Because we have to wear something that's really old. And I said, of course you can wear my letter jacket to Spirit Day. I hadn't seen it in such a long time. I thought, man, I wonder if it still fits. So I grabbed it and I put it on in front of the kids. Um, and of course, you know, they're, they're immediately like, man, what is wrong with you? They're, you know, they're like, why does your jacket say pee-pee? And I was like, it doesn't say, well, I mean, it does, but that, that's because I have a junior varsity letter, Paint Valley, and, and a varsity letter, I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't technically say pee-pee, but I mean, I, I see where it says that, and Christian's like, how come you don't have more patches? And it's like, I never got all, all my patches on, but I said, I, I, it looks good. I think I could still wear it. And Danielle said, take it off. You look ridiculous. <laughs> and here's the deal. She, she was right. Take it off, you look ridiculous. She's right. Some of you, I think, to Jesus look ridiculous because the last time God moved in your life was circa high school, circa college. Last time you got on your face before God in tears was your junior year, was your sophomore year of college. And the last spiritual wardrobe you ever put on, the last touch from God you ever put on is 20 or 30 or 40 years old, when are you going to lean in to a new touch from God? It's not that you look ridiculous, but I promise you this. If your last touch from God was 20 or 30 years from go, if, if your last tears spiritually, if your last surrender, if your last prayer of commitment is 20, 30 years old, you don't look ridiculous, but here, here's what I tell you. You look tired. You look tired. And it's time for something fresh, and it's time for something new in your life. If that's you, if you say, you know what, that's me. Last time I was really on fire spiritually was high school, was college, was 20, 30 30 years ago. I thought that was, you know, kind of adolescent spirituality. And then I became a professional Christian, but I just, I don't know if I'm going to make it through this journey. Then we need to learn from Elijah, his recipe for rest and reentry. How do we get from where we are through this and on the other side come stronger into our reentry to have the impact that God wants us to have? That's the question that we want to ask. As we continue through the text, Elijah gets to Beersheba. He's so tired, an angel has to wake him up twice, feed him twice. And then here's what we read as he continues on his journey. First Kings chapter 19, verse 8. So he got up and he ate and drank again, strengthened by that food. He traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. Now, once again, we need a map to help us understand what really happened here. He had started his journey a week earlier. Here's the entire Middle East. Here's Turkey. Here's the Arabian Desert. You know, Iraq and Iran will be over here by the rivers. Here's Israel. It's labeled Canaan on this map. He had started north of Megiddo, and he'd run to Beersheba. 110 miles in seven days. Now he would go from Beersheba down to Mount Sinai in the Sinai Peninsula. They actually think there's maybe two possible locations. The other one would be over here in Saudi Arabia. Both are more than 200 miles from Beersheba. He ended up 350 miles from where he had been. And there, there he finally met God in a way that would help him re-enter the world in a manner of strength. Some of you, I'm not exactly sure where you are, but I know this, for you to have another touch from God, you're going to have to get miles away from where you are now. You're going to have to get miles away from the schedule you've kept. You're going to have to get miles away from the priorities you used to have. You're going to have to run until you're exhausted and drop on your knees before God and say, okay, God, everything is my past. No turning back. God, I need you. I need a fresh touch from you. I'm tired of wearing my high school spiritual letter jacket around. God, I need a fresh touch from you. Let's look what happened. We pick up in verse 9. I'm going to read a few verses, so follow along with me if you would. It says, 
there on Mount Horeb, he went into the cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, put your prophets to the death with the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're going to kill me too. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord. The Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face. He went out and he stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said to him, go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael, king over over Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel-Meholah to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escaped the sword of Hazael. Elisha will put to death any who escaped the sword of Jehu. And I still have reserved 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. In nine verses, in nine verses, we see this recipe for rest and reentry. If you're listening today and you're saying, I'm not sure when this season is going to be over, but I know when it's over. I want to be rested and I want to come out strong. I want to come out better. Elijah's story teaches us three things that we need to do. If you want to get to a point where you can have a fresh touch from God, here are the three things to do. Number one, we learned that Elijah got so close to God, he could hear him whisper. When's the last time you've been that close to God? Now, he had to cut through the storms. Did you hear it? First thing that came was a storm. We've been in a storm. We've been in a storm of life, and sometimes it's hard to hear God in the storms. He had to make it through an earthquake. Did you see that? We talked about on Easter Sunday how it's, it's hard to live life when everything around you seems to be shaken. It's hard to kind of zone in on the voice of God. He had to make it through the fires. Did you hear that? Some of you, like me, who are leaders in your business, since March 11, 12, all you feel like you've been doing is putting out fires. You feel like a firefighter, not the leader of the business or organization that you are. But after you get past the storms, And after the shaking calms, and after you quit putting out fires, if you can lean close and listen carefully, just like Elijah, you can get close enough to God that you could hear him whisper. But storms make it hard. You got to make it through the storms first. It's interesting. We read about Jesus and his disciples in a storm, and we find out what can happen spiritually in a storm. And man, it's scary. It's scary, dangerous. What can happen in a storm? As we look at Matthew's account of this storm on the Sea of Galilee, it says Jesus got into a boat with his disciples and they followed him. Suddenly a furious storm came upon the lake so that the waves swept over the boat, but Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and they woke Jesus up and said, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. Lord, save us, we're going to drown. We see a very real physical storm that in a moment, turned into an emotional storm. Did you see that? They went from, oh no, it's raining, to we are not going to make it. Did you see that? It's where Elijah was. Journey's too much for me. I can't, I can't do it. I'm not going to make it. He had a very real storm. The king of Israel was mad at him. 
but the, but the physical storm became an emotional storm. The disciples were in a boat and it began to rain, but the physical storm immediately became an emotional storm. Lord, we're not going to make it. But as you read Mark's account, it got worse and it got worse in a hurry because Mark said when the disciples woke him up, they said to Jesus, don't you care if we drown? A physical storm became an emotional storm and it became a spiritual storm. They went from it's raining that God doesn't care about us. And some of you, that, like, that's the season that you're, that you're living in. This corona thing, it's a, it's a storm that we're going to have to figure out, that we're going to have to live through. And for some, it's, it's, it's not just a physical storm, it's an emotional storm. It is so kicked our tail emotionally, we're not sure if we're going to make it. But for some, it's morphing into a spiritual storm. We're wondering if God even cares anymore. And that's a scary place to be. And sometimes storms cause us to run away from God rather than to God. But if you can realize that this is just a physical storm and your emotional strength and spiritual support comes from Jesus, you can lean in. And maybe, just maybe, if you lean in, you'll hear him whispering to you. Our goal in this season of Pentecost, the 49 days, seven weeks plus a day between Easter and Pentecost is to see Jesus face to face. That's why we're asking our church over the next 40 days to take what we're calling the Pentecost challenge. There were seven weeks and a day, 50 days between Passover and Pentecost, 50 days between Easter when Jesus rose from the dead and Pentecost when his Holy Spirit fell from heaven. We're saying in these days where the storms are raging, in these days where it feels like everything is shaking, in these days where it feels like all we're doing is putting out fires, let's figure out how to get close enough to God to hear him whisper by pursuing the face of his son, Jesus. Luke wrote two books in the New Testament, Luke and Acts. One of them is the story of Jesus. One is the story of Jesus' church. And we believe if you will read Monday through Friday, one chapter a day, Saturdays and Sundays, two chapters, and you will answer two very brief questions. What do I see about Jesus or learn about Jesus and his church as I read today? And how does that make me want to worship Jesus more that even in the midst of the storm, the midst of the earthquake, the midst of the fires, you can be close enough to God to hear him whisper to you. If you say, Christian, I mean, I'm so new spiritually. I don't really know how to read my Bible and answer questions. I don't know how to hear from God when I read my Bible. Here's all you need to do. Tune in to Daily Prayer at Noon on our Facebook page because our our staff every day at noon are praying for 12 to 15 minutes just for the the latest things that are happening, our community leaders, our medical workers. But they're going to open the first five to seven minutes by answering those two questions for that day's reading. Here's what I read in Luke 3. Here's what I read in Luke 21. Here's what I read in Acts 14. Here's how I saw Jesus. Here's what I saw about his church. Here's how it makes me want to worship more. Not only will you get to pray with us, stop your day and pray with us, since you're probably already sitting at home in front of a computer, but you'll learn to do Bible study in the process as well. It's so important. You say, I want to rest and I want to re-enter well. It's so important to get close enough to God that you can hear him whisper. Second thing that Elijah learned, he learned that he couldn't fulfill his spiritual purpose alone. He learned that he couldn't fulfill a spiritual purpose alone. He went to God and said, God, what you've asked me to do is too much. It's too big. I tried. I can't do it. I'm all by myself. And God said, Elijah, one, you are not designed to handle this by yourself. And two, I'm not asking you to. When you go back, you're going to meet Hazael from Aram. He's going to help you. You're going to meet Jehu from Israel. He's going to help you. And then you're going to meet Elisha, and he's going to help you. You weren't designed to do this on your own. You can't do this on your own. But I have people who are going to help you. Listen to me, folks. There are some of you out there who a month into this coronavirus season are trying to handle it on your own. 
and you think you're strong enough to do that, but if you're trying to handle this season on your own, you are forgetting what Scripture tells us about the importance of community. When we look carefully at Scripture, we read that two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. God says people are not designed to make it on their own. You should pity people who choose not to engage in community. Beyond that, Ecclesiastes 4.11 continues, if two lie down together, they'll keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? You were not designed to go through this and make it on your own, though one can be overpowered, and that's going to happen in this coronavirus season where people trying to make it on their own are just going to be overwhelmed emotionally, spiritually, physically. Two can defend themselves. Man, if you get three people, they're not quickly going to be broken. They're probably going to make it. Some of you have said, yeah, but Christian, I've been burned by community in the past. I just feel safer by myself. I heard a podcast last week with, a, with kind of a leadership expert talking about how once every seven to 10 years, there is a crisis that demands community in order to make it through. A crisis that demands community in order to make it through. I started thinking back through my life and I thought, really, every seven to 10 years, there's something that if you're alone, it would be very difficult to make it through. And I just thought through my life, starting in middle school, in 1991, Operation Desert Storm, I'll never forget them stopping our middle school basketball game. They had the TVs on in the cafeteria. And I'll remember how scared I was watching some of the guys who would play football for my dad head off to the Middle East to go to war and, you know, thinking that everyone in our small town was going to be sent to war. And I remember the comfort of community. Just a few years later, sitting on my couch in college watching two kids that had allegedly gone into Columbine High School with guns and they were trying to figure out what was going on and just the shock and awe of what happened then and needing community to, to just feel safe at moments in my life. Fast forward a couple more years to 9-11 and terrorists flying airplanes into towers in our country. Fast forward seven more years in 2008, 2009, a recession hits and friends start losing jobs. Friends start losing homes. Entire neighborhoods go upside down. Churches close their door. Fast forward another decade. Here we are with the coronavirus. And I don't know what's coming between now and 2030, but my guess is based on my life experience, it's something. And if we don't pour into community over the next nine years, on that 10th year when crisis hits, we're not going to have anyone to help us. Elijah realized he couldn't do it on his own, but God told him he didn't have to. And for those of you thinking, I've been trying to do it on my own, but I don't know that I can go another 90 days like this. You need to find your community now. God didn't tell Elijah they'll come to you. He said, you got to go to them. And for those of you thinking, I want to be in community, but you guys got to come find me. It's not a game of hide and go seek you got to reach out if you want community. So I want to challenge you. Grab your smartphone right now. If you don't have a men's group, if you don't have a women's group, if you don't have a community of at least three around you, grab your smartphone right now and text the number 474747. Text two words, journey groups. And today, today, right now, sign up for a group. And before June 1, begin to learn who some community in your life is. You might not need them now, but in the next 10 years, I promise you, you'll go through a crisis where you will need community to help you. Elijah realized he couldn't fulfill his spiritual purpose alone. But then number three, maybe the greatest thing, Elijah was reminded by God he wasn't alone. He felt alone, but God said, listen, you're gonna be okay. You're not alone. You're not the only one who's going through what you're going through. You're gonna make it and a lot are gonna make it. God reminded Elijah in our last verse today, There's 7,000 people just like you in Israel. You don't know them, but just because you don't know them doesn't mean they don't exist. There's 7,000 people with a heart just like yours. 
And there's one very specifically who was supposed to be developed by him. God basically said to Elijah, Elijah, I can't let you die right now. I can't kill you right now. There's somebody who's depending on you. And some of you are thinking, I don't know if I'm going to make it through this season, but it doesn't matter because if, you know, if I don't, who cares? Listen, God cares. And the person that God has in your life that your life is supposed to impact in the future cares and they care deeply. One of the things I've been doing during this shutdown season is I've, I've been reading a lot, uh, and, and I love to read history books. I've been reading a lot of ministry and leadership books, but on my off days and my evenings, just reading history books. Um, I love the author David McCullough. I've read 1776 in the last couple of weeks about George Washington and the Revolutionary War. Last week, I read the book Truman, a Pulitzer Prize winning book for those of you who love history, for those of you who love World War II history, for those of you who love Missouri history, Jackson County history, you will love this book. But I learned something in this book that I, it it certainly wasn't a word that I'd used a lot. Uh, Harry Truman's favorite people growing up, the people who impacted him the most growing up were his school teachers. And his favorite school teacher had to stop being a school teacher because she got married. And the book just said kind of as it was going through, she got married so she couldn't teach anymore because most school teachers at that time were spinsters. And I thought, Spinsters. I don't know. I don't know that I'm familiar with that word. I don't know that I've ever said it. And if I did, I'm not sure it was in the right context. So I looked it up. I thought, what's a spinster? And a spinster was a word used for, you know, women 70 or 80 years ago who were of marrying age or later who had chosen not to get married. They were originally called spinsters because they would choose to work spinning wool in the factories rather than getting married and keeping a home. They, they were working women who chose to work rather than get married. And Truman. Truman was grateful for them because he felt like they had chosen to influence children instead of having their own family. So he was grateful for the spinsters in his life. And it made me think, it made me think, man, am I someone who one day is going to be looked back upon and somebody's going to be thankful that I poured my life into them? Is somebody even going to notice that I sacrificed other things so that I could have influence and impact on them? And God told Elijah, Elijah said, God, just kill me. I don't want to do this anymore. And God said, I can't. Because there's a kid in Israel named Elisha. And he needs you. He needs what you have for his life because I've got a call on his life. Part of that call is your development in it. Some of you are sitting here and you're thinking, man, my goal is just to get to the other side of this thing alive. That's great. But you need to think bigger. Because if God spares your life through this season, it's not just for you, but it's for the person God wants you to impact deeply. You say, man, I want to rest. I want to re-enter well. What do I I have to do? You got to get closer to God than maybe you've been in a really long time. Some of you need to take off your high school letter jacket spiritually that you've been wearing because this is the last time you got on your face before God and said, God, I'm broken before you. My whole life is laid out before you. My family, you, you have all of me. It's been a really, really long time since you've said a prayer like that. You're a professional adult Christian now, so you haven't said anything like that for a really long time, but you know you're not close enough to hear God whisper. You need to lean in again. You need to realize you can't do it on your own. You weren't designed to, and you need to reach out for community because when crisis comes, community is what holds you up in that. You need community, and you need to realize not only are you not alone, but God didn't create you just for you. He created you for your Elisha. He created you for your Harry Truman. He created you so you would look around and live and invest in someone else. And when you do that, we will not just make it through this, we'll make it through this better and we'll have huge impact on the other side of that. If life for you feels like a never-ending story, that it just 
it's one bad news day till the next. Run after Jesus. If life for you feels like it'll never be like it used to be on the mountaintop, start climbing the next mountain. If life for you feels like it's been so far in your past since you've had a touch from God, then let's start a new story and have a touch from God today. Some of you are Christians. If you die, you're going to go to heaven. There's no doubt about that in your life. It's been a long time since you've had a touch from God. Why don't you take off the old and ask God to put on the new? Some of you may have never met Jesus. And maybe God had you tune in today so that you could hear who Jesus is and grab his hand for the very first time to pull you through this season and into the next one that he has planned for you. Wherever you are in life, man, bow your knee, open your hands, and ask God's spirit to fill you. Would you do that with me today? Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Every head is bowed, every eye is closed, but hearts are open. Let me talk to you, Christian mom, Christian dad, Christian college person, Christian grandparent. How long has it been since you've had a touch from God? What's the year on your jacket of your last touch from God? Maybe today God is calling you like Elijah to run to him again. Yes, you've had mountaintop experiences in your past, but run to him again. Yes, you've met with God at Beersheba in your past, but run to him again. Maybe you need a new touch if that's you. Open up your heart and life and with childlike faith, just recommit all over again. Ask God to forgive you again, to fill you again, to be with you again. Ask God to make your life count again. Just cry out and ask God to give you a brand new touch like he did in high school, like he did in college, like he did as a young adult. Cry out to God and ask him to fill you again for the next stage of this journey. Start again. Start again, Christian. For those of you who don't know Jesus personally, heads are bowed and eyes are closed, but you've never reached up and taken hold of Jesus' hand. You can do that today if you don't know Jesus. But this season has made you realize you can no longer just live for a broken world that ends in death. Open your heart and respond to his call to follow him today. You say, Christian, how do I do that? Just talk to the God of the universe right where you are. From your heart to heaven, you don't even have to say it out loud. Pray something like this, Jesus, I need you. Just repeat it after me, Jesus, I need you. Forgive me of my sin. I repent for trying to live life without you. I want you to be my leader. I want to follow you. Today I give my life to you. Jesus, I want to follow you. If you just prayed that prayer, I believe the God of heaven has reached down and put his Holy Spirit, his eternal Holy Spirit in your heart to connect to you. The Bible says heaven is rejoicing. In just a second, we would love to rejoice with you as well as you begin your new spiritual life. As we close in prayer today, Jesus... We're one month into this season. And sometimes it can feel like a never-ending story. So we need a fresh touch from you. God, we can't just live for the mountaintop. That doesn't last. We can't just keep going back to past moments. We've burned through that fuel. God, we ask you to create a new one. To dig into a brand new spot in our heart. We want to commit our hearts and our lives all over again to you. We want to commit to be all in again. One more time, help us as we renew our faith to get close enough to hear you whisper. Help us to get selfless enough to live in community. Open our eyes to the fact that we're not alone, but that our survival is not just for us, but for the person, the Elisha, the Harry Truman on the other side of this that we will impact because we live for others. God, fill us. Help us 
use us. We can't do any of it without you, so we ask you to be with us. And we ask these things today in Jesus' name. And everyone said together, amen and amen. Thank you so much for being with us. Before you leave today, hey, let us know that you were with us, especially today if you made a spiritual decision. If today you recommitted your heart to Christ for the first time in a long time, if you said, I'm all in again spiritually, let us know you made that recommitment so we can pray for you. You can text us, 4747, two words, journey, connect. That'll send you a connect card that'll let us know anything we need to know to serve you well. If you made a spiritual decision for the first time and became a Christian, let us know. If you recommitted your life, let us know. If we can pray for you, let us know. If you need anything from our church in any way during this difficult season, let us know. Journey Connect to 474747 is the way that you do that. For those of you who are continuing to give, thank you. Uh, We need your help. We're really, really grateful for it. Remember a couple ways to give online. Take the journey cc backslash give once you give once your account will be set up same thing text to give once your account gets set up it becomes very very easy you can give through the mobile app or you can mail a check if you're most comfortable doing that thank you for the way that you give we'd love to see you tomorrow at noon we're going to pray together and we're going to study scripture together so give us 12 to 15 minutes of your day let's look into luke chapter 8 or 9 tomorrow Let's see what we can learn about Jesus, why we should worship Jesus, and let's pray for our community, for our country, and our world as we continue to move through this. Join us every day for prayer at noon, and because tomorrow is Monday, we always start our weeks in prayer, 6 a.m. If you're up early, or it's on our Facebook page all day long, begin your week with a little bit of worship, filling out your prayer journal. We found that the way to have great peace Monday through Sunday is on Monday morning, first thing, to write your week down, to give it all to God and say, it's in your hands now, not mine. I want to invite our ministry team to come up and get ready to serve you through worship. Ken and our team are going to come and they're going to worship. You can worship with them. You can let them worship over you. But as you do, let me end with this thought today. As you worship, do it in a way that helps you get close enough to Jesus that you can hear him whisper. As you worship, don't do it alone. Lock arms with some people and live in community. As you worship, begin to look around because your life is not just about you. It's about those you will impact as Ken and our team lead us, press into Jesus, ask him to use you in a powerful way. And we'll see you back here next Sunday. Pastor Ryan, Pastor Mike, Pastor Scott, and myself having a little bit of a roundtable about what we're learning, how we're living through this, how we're connecting to Jesus. I hope you'll join us and invite someone to join with you. Let's worship with Ken and the team. Have a great week. I'll see you next Sunday.